and welcome to One Podcast, one platform to discuss everything One Health, from career prospects to debates. Each episode will be an open and honest insight into career opportunities outside the norm of clinical practice, as well as discussions, controversial debates and inspirational talks from experts. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast here on Spotify, as well as finding our website at onehealthoneplatform.com. To keep up to date with live events, access resources created to help you follow your chosen career path, and to request topics you'd like us to cover. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Today, we have the privilege of interviewing Dr. Dan Horton. Dan started his career after graduating from the University of Cambridge in 2002 as a vet. During his studies, Dan completed an intercalated MA in zoology. After working in mixed and second opinion exotic animal practice, Dan went on to further his studies by completing a master's in wild animal health. After finishing a PhD at Cambridge, working with APHA and CDC Atlanta, USA on zoonotic viral diseases of wildlife, Dan joined the virology department APHA Weybridge, undertaking surveillance and research programmes for viral diseases of wildlife. From 2002 to today, Dan has worked at the University of Surrey as a lecturer, promoted to senior lecturer and reader in veterinary virology, continuing research into zoonotic viral diseases and teaching at undergraduate and postgraduate level. This podcast is devoted to Dan Horton's career and gaining an insight into the exciting prospects of working in wildlife virology and further education. So can you start by explaining how your vet career began? Yeah, of course. I mean, like most of us who got into vet medicine, it's probably started way before I actually got to vet school, you know, when I first realised that I enjoyed being in the natural world and working around animals. And I was you know, keen on science at school as well. So the two things were natural fit. But I suppose it was after I got to, to vet school, really, I decided to intercalate. So I did an intercalated degree in, in zoology. And um, and that really opened my eyes, actually, to, you know, the, the variety of, of animals that, in theory, we have under our care. And so I think that's probably what piqued my interest in, you know, doing the sort of thing I'm I'm doing now. Brilliant. So what, what do you think inspired you to intercalate in the first place? I th- having another year of fun at university, um, it was the the opportunities that were available, I suppose. I, I, I think I probably knew right quite early on that I was was going to want to do something in, as well as practice. And so I wanted to you know reach out and find out what what was out there. And because of my interest in in nature and the natural world, zoology seemed like a, an obvious choice. And would you say you miss clinical practice? mixed i i do miss clinical practice there's no doubt about that and i have to be honest with it but it was almost a sacrifice i sort of felt i i i had to make eventually and i didn't stop i still practiced a bit right during my phd i was still doing clinical work but it was when i realized that i would you know if i wanted to get serious about doing research and 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 educating then i would couldn't make enough time for clinical practice so i do miss it and but it was a yeah, difficult but conscious decision at, at that point to, to stop. But some of my research involved clinical work. So, you know, doing field work, for example, looking for viruses in bats, you know, you, you still feel like certainly got to put a pair of overalls on and, you know, doing doing clinical work in that context. Mm. So when you said that you did a bit of clinical work while you were doing your PhD, how did you find that balance? Was it difficult or do you think it kind of was second nature? Uh, it was sec- second nature. It was fine, actually. And, you know, did on call I did a few 
sort of regular night shifts and then work weekends as well. And and for the first year of my PhD, it was fine and really enjoyable and a, and an you know an important sort of source of income as well. But it was really in the last couple of years where things started to ramp up and I couldn't you know give both of them the the commitment that they needed. So that was the decision point really. I had to sort of decide whether I was going to get serious about it, and and that's when I did reduce the clinical work. So now that you're sort of at where you're at in your career can you give a summary of what your typical day looks like? Yeah so now I am mostly a lot of the time in meetings um, so <laughs> talking to people um, and also um, writing a lot so I'm writing either grant proposals to try and get funding to do more research or I'm writing up the outputs of them so writing paper you know papers to be published and things like that. Um, but there's also things that are kind of more applied in terms of getting the outputs of what I do. And that things like sitting on um, working groups. So one of the diseases I work on is rabies. And it's really rewarding being able to sit on working groups with people from World Health Organization and the OIE um, who are trying to you know, make policy for advise people on rabies control. So it's it's really rewarding when your research can input directly into things like that and actually have a have an impact and then the other big part of it is supporting PhD students undergraduate students you know vets doing their research projects and that's a a really big part of what I do now is is supporting and training other people and that's also really rewarding. Hmm. I can imagine that's really rewarding being able to support students advancing science through incredible work in research did you ever think that when you were doing your undergrad degree, did you ever think that this was where you would be or, or do you think it sort of flowed into it naturally? Um, it flowed. It's, it's a good question and because I often think about that and, and definitely not. I And I, I didn't have any idea, really. I had no idea what academia was like. And, I, you know, even though you're when you're at university, you're in daily contact with people, you know, academics, people like me, I don't think you don't really get a, se- a sense of, of what it's like so I had no idea and I think if I'm honest I probably wouldn't have I wouldn't have said I wanted to ha- to be where I am because I but that's only because I didn't understand it so yeah it very much flowed it came out of a, a, a kind of feeling that I probably wanted to it sounds a bit corny but I wanted to advance veterinary medicine not just practice it which it which is corny but it kind of came out of that and it I, I then did a, a master's in wild animal health and you know, to link up my love of the natural world with vetting. And and it was really then that I started studying the infectious diseases of, of wildlife. And, and, and from there, went on to do a PhD. So it's definitely been an evolution. Um, and I, I haven't planned it this way, but it's worked out well. And I have no regrets. No, that's really good. And so I imagine your job is really varied and probably has lots of new challenges all the time. And do you enjoy that aspect of it? Um, yes. It, yeah, I do. Definitely. Yeah. So lots of different things each day. And certainly when I was more and what tends to happen when you get into academia is you you do stuff like if your research is lab based, you might be in the lab or field based, for example, me going out and doing field studies on bats. for you know, and you're out there doing stuff. And as and you in your PhD, it's mostly doing stuff and uh, and and then writing. And then as you progress through, you do less doing stuff and more telling people about it and writing <laughs> about it. And that, again, it's a bit like moving out of practice. You suddenly a lot of people doing in my position, you know, miss the field work or the or the lab work. So 
yeah so you, you basically progress from doing those things to then sort of talking about it yeah and I think that's a it's an adjustment that you, you need to make but what I do now is support as I said support others who are actually doing the do and that's um, an adjustment you have to make but but definitely definitely worthwhile yeah absolutely so I know you've mentioned field work that you've done previously and um, I know you've done a bit of work overseas and things like that could you explain a bit more what that entails yeah definitely so it's been probably one of the most exciting bits about the, the career path that I've ended up in and I wouldn't change it for the world there was times when I was particularly when I had my I had young kids and I was traveling a lot and you know going to places like Tajikistan which is lovely and wonderful and amazing but I have to confess I'd never really heard of before I started the trip out there and you know with young kids and things so it's a it was a big sacrifice but but a big part of the of what I did and so some of that was um, what they call technical assistance so at the time I was working in a government veterinary laboratory and we had collaborations with with um, colleagues overseas to um, develop tests or to study in this case it was rabies in that country and it's a you know a great opportunity to work with people from different cultures and learn different ways of working and also to to see a bit of the world and then another aspect was the the field work so you know bat catching in in various countries in in Africa and Europe and that's much more hands-on um you know quite you know exciting in that you're dealing with you know animals that wild animals and you need to be prepared for that and but all of those things have have really enriched what I do sometimes you know when you're stuck in an airport I, I remember coming back from um Africa with some samples and we had all the paperwork it was of course in order and everything was packaged appropriately but the um, the container we had just happened to look like a, a bomb basically if you got a kid to draw a bomb it would look exactly like the liquid nitrogen canister that we had these samples in so you can imagine in you know trying to um, leave a country with that and uh, so there's a few moments where it was um, yeah pulling your hair out but but overall I wouldn't change it for the world it was really really exciting stuff no it definitely sounds it so what would you say would be sort of like the most rewarding aspects of your career are there like specific moments that you look back on and think that that was amazing yeah I mean there's the the obvious ones which uh, I was lucky enough and well I worked hard to try and get some experience of wildlife whilst I was a vet student and I, I went to South Africa and did some some experience out there and so that you know a highlight was sort of it has to be doing some of the stuff with a big wildlife out in South Africa so you know translocating black rhino and, and things like that was just you know you can't I'm very very lucky and it, the, the stars aligned so I was able to do that and um, that has to be a, a sort of highlight and then you know I have to say actually some of the stuff in clinical practice so when I got into clinical practice you suddenly knowing that I probably wasn't going to stay in it forever I, I, I have to say I probably wasn't I had reasonably low expectations I thought it's something I wanted to do to sort of earn my wings and I enjoyed it much more than I thought you know so perhaps my first GDV in the middle of the night or my first cesarean I vividly remember my first cesarean where you know you get up in the middle of the night to do it and if I hadn't been there and done that then you know the eight lives or nine lives would have been lost um, as a consequence and and that was hugely rewarding so there are lots I have to say but I just you know moving to now it's definitely the the supervision and the and the support you know there's nothing better actually than than being able to help another person achieve their goals and some you know for example PhD supervision if you see you know that progression in that time people go from 
really not knowing much about research through to being somebody who can lead their own research at the end of it is is really rewarding and then they go off and and do do other things and you have to sort of you know let them go and do their thing and it, it's but it's it's great to see that absolutely and so for people that are listening and they're, they're not sure the same as like how you mentioned before not sure that they will stay as a clinician for their long-term career would you say that having a background in veterinary medicine sort of gave you that springboard to pursue what you've done after that yes without a shadow of a doubt it's open doors you know people talk about your vet passport and I couldn't agree more you know it's it's open doors that that would have stayed firmly shut um, and it has been a you know been an enabler particularly for the overseas sort of work you know and in in many countries you know being a vet is you're able to access places and do things that you wouldn't otherwise be able to and I think um, but it's also meant I work with other people other specialties who um, bring other stuff to the table as well so it's certainly not the be all and end all but it, it has really helped and and people you know often say like oh do you miss being a proper vet and that I, I find that difficult because you know I am a proper vet I consider that what I do now incorporates everything I learned while I was at vet school and in clinical practice so I I do think it's it's really useful it's not the be all and end all and I think that particularly vets in doing work the sort of work I do in with wildlife and conservation need to be really cognizant of the fact that we only bring one aspect to it and there are lots of other um, specialties that need to be involved but yes in short answer is yes I think it's been uh, an important part of of where I am. So how much of your job requires you to communicate and work alongside specialists so from different backgrounds and professions which obviously I know you've alluded to that that you do that quite a lot but do you find that that really rewarding and do you think coming at it from a veterinary background has actually helped you communicate with them better? Yes and no so vet degree is amazing in the, in its breadth you're not just um, taught how to fix animals but you're taught a lot of other things as well you know not just in the curriculum, but just in the, the life experience you get whilst you're on EMS and, and IMR and the clients or the communication, things like that. So, But it can also make you a bit blinkered as well because you spend most of the time in university with other vet students. And, and so you, you can get in a bit of a vet bubble and that, you know, you have to, I think it's useful to try and be really aware of that. So when you go out into the real world and interact with normal people, that you're you're aware that you're aware that you've been in a in a vet bubble, um, and that's particularly the case, I think, with some of the interdisciplinary work. So for dealing with diseases that go from animals to people, is you know the, the classic One Health example or or an example of where a One Health approach is important. And so we'd have meetings, you know, that take the the examples of going overseas to do technical assistance projects um you'd have you'd sit around the table uh, you know we're discussing rabies control and there'd be vets there um, and there'd be doctors as well but then there would also be people from who are responsible for the environment in that region um, and quite often the wild animals which can also be rabies reservoirs or even sometimes free roaming dogs would be under the responsibility of the um say the forestry commission or the, the ministry for the environment and so knowing your knowing your limits as a vet, knowing what you can offer, but also respecting the those other specialties is is really important. So yeah, communication across disciplines um, is vital, particularly when you're doing work that would be considered one health. Absolutely. And so I know that you've you have a really high level of academia and you've worked with some amazing people and, and some amazing organizations. And I know imposter syndrome is something that we talk about a lot in veterinary medicine, but do you find 
that going into that sort of world of such expertise and specialisms is it intimidating at times or did you feel that you went into it knowing that you could offer a lot to that I think if I'm honest I think I, we all get imposter syndrome you know right from the day I turned up at my first carving you know having not grown up on a farm but you know feeling I was clinically clinically confident but you still feel imposter syndrome yeah I mean you know turning up in in some somebody else's country and with a remit to sort of try and provide advice yeah you definitely get imposter syndrome I can tell you but the training helps you know that and that's the thing you know one of the reasons why I said I enjoyed clinical practice more than I thought I did is because after a couple of months when you're finding your feet and you stop looking over your shoulder to ask the the vet um, whether you've done something right and you look over your shoulder and you realize there's nobody there and you are the vet you know when that happens you think you, you realize that actually the training does work and it's the same when you you know carry on to do a, a PhD or whatever it does sort of deep down I think you probably know that you are capable of it but it doesn't stop the imposter syndrome I think everyone gets it it just people some people admit to it and some people don't yeah definitely and thank you for being so open and honest about imposter syndrome like you said I think most people will agree everybody struggles with that feeling at some point in their career no matter how qualified or educated you are and so obviously going from a master's doing a PhD did you find that it was difficult to sort of go back to academia after working in mixed practice um yes and it was a big worry actually when I went to do the master's that was a massive risk in a way because you you know for, from a financial perspective but also from a career move you know you think am I can I actually still learn stuff you know have I too much kind of clinical work has that stopped me my ability to do exams or whatever but it's amazing how quickly you get back into it you know I, you'll probably be able to relate to this but one thing that you do get practiced at over the years of vet school is being assessed you, you know it, it came back actually and it, it wasn't really that bad I think the biggest step probably is to the, the PhD because that's more self-driven so you you need to be able to lead your own start leading your own research and that's a difficult thing so that's almost like saying to somebody right okay you can do a bit spay now but why not with your next operation you know try a different technique that you've never seen anyone do mm-hmm. before you know that's the sort of that's the, I'm not suggesting anyone does that obviously but that's just an analogy to sort of when you get to that the PhD is a bit more like that but again it all depends on the support you've got available and your supervisors and if if you're guided through that you emerge after three years having learned how to run research your own research. So for students listening that are interested in virology or further education in general but feel a bit intimidated by extending their studies what what would you say to them? Yeah so I'd say um, go for it don't be intimidated because if you if you find the, the right place to to bloom then you will you'll be helped through it you know there's no there's no expectation when you start a master's or a PhD that you're going to be an expert you know the whole point of it is to train you to do it and without generalizing most of the vets I know who who are in postgraduate education cope really well because you're you're already in some ways a graduate because well you are a graduate but you've almost because of the long degree vets tend to be good at dealing with the workload and, and managing their time things like that so that would be it don't be intimidated first of all easy for me to say but just remember that that both MSc, the masters and, and PhDs and residencies and internships, they're training programs. The whole point is that you go from where you are when you enter 
And all you need to do is show enthusiasm and resilience and, and you'll get through it. And then the other thing is to, to consider your career less of a ladder and more of a squiggly line. And this is a manifestation of it in that I didn't necessarily, I didn't jump straight from vet school to postgraduate education and, and academia. I went into practice and I you know, did some wild animal and exotic secondary practice for a while you know, before I got back into postgraduate stuff. So it's okay to, to squiggle about a bit. I think that should be a good lesson. And, you know, I've said this before in other contexts, but don't waste too much time worrying about the really big decisions because life is the stuff that happens um, in between. So if it feels right, it probably is. So doing the clinical work before you go into postgraduate studies um, is a personal choice. Some people really don't want to ever do that, and that's absolutely fine. For me, it worked really well because I didn't just learn how to do clinical things, but I also learned a lot about life. You know, I grew up a lot in those three or four years after vet school, and I was able to save some money as well, which mm-hmm. which helped later on. So for people that are interested in things like wild animal health or virology, or if they want to just go into public health, any kind of genre of that, how would you compare the teaching that you get at vet school to specialising and doing a master's and a PhD in terms of the content and how you learn? It's it's actually quite similar in, in many ways. Um, the, the gap is not as big as you might imagine. And the key thing is is how you learn. And the, the with a vet degree, you, you can't possibly learn it all and I as I tell you guys when we're doing the virology stuff is I'm not going to stand there and tell you what these are the most important or these are the only virus diseases of animals that you need to know because by the time everyone graduates there are more you Mm. you know the current situation is a blatant example of that they're going to change so I think you get actually quite good as a vet as a vet student in learning how to learn and your clients you know who will also be looking stuff up you know you need to be able to stay stay one step ahead and it's part of the job really is being a lifelong learner so so actually I, I really don't think it's it's that much different and you know as I said a lot of the vets I know who've entered postgraduate um, education um, do really well so in terms of practical advice though for people who are interested the key thing to do is to to go and ask people there's the vet stego diversified website which many of you will be aware of which is a great resource and contact network but just go and ask people about the the types of jobs they do and in terms of getting getting experience sometimes you have to even even after you graduate you have to accept you may have to go back and do some unpaid you know just a week or so in in an environment so that you can get a flavor of it and then yeah, there's plenty of master's programs available depending on on the specialty um, and it's a question of choosing one that you think fits you but most people a bit like going to vet school no you very rarely hear people say oh i went to x vet school and really regretted it i wish i'd gone to a different vet school the same is very similar with phds and master's programs you know once you've gone it and got through it very few people say they wish they'd not chosen that one so it's you know once you get there and and start studying the chances are you'll enjoy it that's definitely really reassuring to hear and what sort of specifically about zoonotic diseases and wild animal health and public health in general what is it for you that inspires you and and sort of piques your interest it's a bit corny but I genuinely believe particularly with something like rabies that vets have a an absolute obligation to get involved in in trying to prevent the 
the issues that they cause. So rabies still causes at least 60,000 human deaths every year, uncountable numbers of animal deaths as well. And yet it's a preventable disease. You know, we've had vaccines since the time of Louis Pasteur that we know work against rabies. So there's something wrong there. You know, we, why, is, why is it still there? And the idea that you could do something that would actually help that is incredibly motivating. And it genuinely helps me in the difficult times at work to think that actually, if I can do this, it might have an effect. That certainly really, really drives me on. And then it's just sheer wonder of it. I mean, again, go back to the bats as an example, and, and many wild species is just the wonder of it. I, I vividly remember one bat sampling trip where we'd arrived in the country, I think at, at dawn, and then we were we caught that that evening. So obviously bat work starts at dusk often. So we set, set up the nets, catch at dusk, and then we were we were heading home about three in the morning so we'd nearly been up for 24 hours and we're in the vehicle heading back and uh, we kept on spotting wildlife in the in the bushes and I was with two ecologists as well so every time we saw them we slammed the brakes on and we had a spotlight and we were looking in the bushes for the various monkeys and things and you just think and it, it was just fascinating and I think, look back on that and think we'd been awakening 24 hours but you still you still have that joy of discovering new stuff um, and that never goes away I don't think it I don't think it ever will however hard it gets yeah yeah and I think kind of going on from that I I appreciate that not every job or no job is necessarily going to be perfect are there elements to your job that you find sometimes are frustrating or or perhaps the most challenging parts of your job it's it's hard work you know I think that's the 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 times when you feels like you've got a lot to do um, and that you know that's the same in any job I think if you want to be if you want to achieve anything in your job you need to, to work hard at it so that's a bit crass I suppose because every every job is going to be like that at some point. Mm. I think there's inevitable bureaucracy um, and this is not specific to any particular place but sometimes that can can weigh you down as well and sometimes I suppose you know I said about making a difference sometimes you can't make a difference in spite of your best efforts because of things that are, are beyond your control you know and one health is a great example of that because you can come up with the best policy in the world and yet if there are other reasons say financial or political why it can't be implemented your research will just you know could fall by the wayside and that's something actually that we're trying to address is to look at things like public perception of risk um, and also what are the barriers to to dog vaccination in the case of rabies you know why why wouldn't people get their dogs vaccinated things like that so it's it's really trying to overcome those kind of bureaucratic and and uh, political challenges I suppose. And I guess despite all of those challenges you still wake up every day and know that what you do is making a difference and it, that, that must be really rewarding. Yeah absolutely yeah and that, that certainly helps in the difficult times to to get going and again the, the idea that I might be able to help students and other people to further their careers is also something that helps motivate me as well and, and keep me going through the difficult times. Absolutely. That's amazing. Thank you very much. That's been a really inspiring talk and I'm sure everybody will absolutely love it. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for inviting me to talk to you.